Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. My guest today is Dr. Noah Kaufman, better known as the Ninja Doc from the famed Wolf Pack of American Ninja Warriors. Really pleased to have you here, Doc. Richard, it's great to be here with you. I've been following you guys, and uh, I, I like to watch the program when it when I have a chance to see it. And you know, you guys are doing things that are right up in my wheelhouse. So I, I just love watching the competitions. Yeah, it's it's interesting because there's a lot of there's there's a lot of crossover, right? I mean, yeah. you're dealing with a lot of the OCR athletes, and of course, we have Rose Wetzel, who's one of the great ninjas, and. And a lot of the ninjas do a lot of mud running and Spartan racing and the OCR stuff. And so there is a lot of crossover and there's, you know, this obstacle element and there's this aerobic element to all of it, isn't there? Sure. The The bottom line is we're trying to figure out how to make athletes better, how to improve performance. And obviously there's, you know, for ninjas, for us ninjas, it's a little bit different because when we go out there, we run these super hard courses but it really happens in just about two minutes so we do develop the, a pump and we develop you know the the failure a lot of times comes from lack of ability to recover but it happens on a much uh, shorter time frame than say a long endurance race do you take those things into consideration when you're dealing with specific athletes i do i do Realize too, I work with all sorts of athletes over the years. A good example is hockey players. Mm. Uh, I've worked with uh, LA Kings, and I used to do preseason diagnostics for them, which would be aerobic and anaerobic power tests. So a good example of an anaerobic power test is what's referred to as a Wingate test. A Wingate test is a 30-second all-out power test. And what it does is it measures your, your power output in wattage. It converts your work to watts. Oh, and then you're cool. looking at what's called your peak power, your thing called your fatigue index, the point within that 30 seconds where you start to fade. Let's look at that in uh, comparison to a ninja competition. Yeah, you know, you get into an effort very easily could be stuck up in an effort for 15, 20 seconds, leading into another heavy effort that's 15 or 20 seconds, but the intensity being high, 
there's all this stuff that's going on that is going to cause you to fatigue. Right. One thing that I've been fascinated with is this term referred to as the central governor theory. And, yeah. And are you familiar with this? No, I'm not. Well, what central governor theory is not so much about energy dissipation. They refer to that as a glycogen depletion model. So for someone running a marathon, they would say, okay, he hit the wall because he blew out his energy and he just couldn't function anymore. Yeah, he bonked. Right. And the central governor theory is something that was coined by a guy named Dr. Tim Noakes out of South Africa. Yeah. And the concept is that your central nervous system, being in charge of everything that occurs in your body, starts to dictate terms. So when things are starting to go a little ugly and it doesn't care for the way things are going, in other words, uh, your life is being threatened or potentially in danger, your central governor will start to shut things down to keep you from injuring yourself. So this could very much be a case where there's so much stress in your upper body, in your arms, in your grip, that it may cause you to fail even though there still may be the strength to do the work but your brain's trying to let go. It wants you to stop doing what is causing you to potentially harm yourself. Interesting. Yeah, it's like a limiter chip, isn't it? Absolutely. What's One thing that's really interesting about that is as climbers, and climbers have traditionally done very well on the American Ninja Warrior courses. Sure. And, um, you know, I, and, and one thing that's really interesting about what you're saying is you can train to some degree the level of effort uh, that you're that you're putting forth into these courses. So, for example, Ian and I, Ian Dory, he's right. the wolf pup. He's sure. one of the, one of the wolf pack guys. We were talking about we we did the finals course uh, in Denver a couple years ago, and we got done with the course. And as climbers, we always like to talk about difficulty. You know, we have a difficulty rating, sure. and so there's a big rating system. And I, I said, Ian, how hard was that course for you? And Ian said, Wow, you know that course. I felt like it felt like it was about V10. And V10 is a really difficult grade. And for me, Ian's a much better climber than I am. For me, V10 is like, I can barely do V10. Um, it takes a long time. I can't do a lot of V10s. If I have to try and do a V10 my first try, I'm not going to do it. You know, it's pretty much guaranteed. However, I finished that course as well. And he said, you know, how hard did you think it was, Noah? And I said, well, you know, Ian, it's, it's interesting. I thought it was V7. I thought it was a, about a V7. Right. And we talked about it a little bit. And what we realized is, you know, for Ian, he was probably trying as though the course was a V10. And I was trying as though the course was a V7. So he was probably actually uh, wasting some energy and making it a little bit more difficult for himself, even though, v, you know, and V10 is still a very easy thing to do. And so one thing that we've focused on is actually occasionally trying less hard and holding on with less grip, you know, because ho holding on to something is all about your strength and the friction between your hand and whatever you're holding sure. on. And if you can relax your mind and hold on just with the precise amount of tension and, and friction that you need, then you're going to save energy. But generally speaking, and that's a very hard thing to train, human beings hold on as hard as they can when they get onto upper body type of, you know, of situations. And I'm not sure, is that, do you think that's true maybe for lower body type of stuff too? You know, I mean, you can control how hard you're trying. Yes. 
Yes, I think so. Absolutely. But when you start to get into these uh, really heavy contractions in your forearms, in your shoulder girdle, your traps, all these large muscles in your in your shoulder girdle, and they're loaded up. And as you suggested, if you're able to relax a little bit, I would imagine that you can still achieve the goal without overstressing your body to achieve the goal. Is that kind of, kind of what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. And you see it all the time on the ninja course and maybe everywhere else because there's guys who are out there who can do one-arm pull-ups and do all this amazing strength, the feats of strength. I, I know, for example, these guys are a lot stronger than, than myself, uh, but I've been trained through rock climbing and especially through sport climbing, which is endurance rock climbing, to, to be able to relax in situations. And so I don't get tired or pump out quite as easily as uh, people who are just naturally have a, a stronger pr uh, strength profile, for instance. So I think that's exactly what I'm saying. And I, I think it's critical to any performance athlete um, to, to have that, that kind of mental control over their exertion levels and, and over how hard they're trying. Right. It's, it's a really tricky thing. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned that I thought was interesting is when you're talking about, like, running, you have a specific repeatable muscular motion which you can analyze. It's a little bit tougher with something as, I guess, dynamic as climbing where it's always different. And there's such a huge range of motion of the shoulder girdle, for instance, um, that it's it's really hard to to um to get the the kinematics as as you said to get the the analysis you know you can't really do a gait analysis no. on like a maybe maybe you wouldn't call it a nonlinear movement but a, a movement that's so complex versus one that's you know repeated over and over right it's it it's tough so it's a little bit more challenging but i think that's what climbers in general are trying to do and and maybe ninjas as well because the more efficient we are the less we get pumped and the longer we able, we're able to hold on to these obstacles right. or to the rock wall and so it's really interesting what yeah, you're saying yeah yeah i love it and i think uh, what you're what you're touching on is I, I, it's rolling around on my head and i'm getting excited okay yeah <laughs> but if you could train your perception to prepare for effort so you look at something as you're approaching it and identify what specifically you need to trigger in order to achieve the end. You were talking about, you know, gripping really, really hard where it may not have required that of you. So you're over gripping, which is causing you to be inefficient. Exactly. You start to develop an awareness. I guess we could use the term kinesthetic awareness where you start to get a sense of, okay, I know what that's going to take of me. I need to gear up for that or I'm gonna. I can lay back a little bit because it's not going to be necessary. And and if it's a performance end where you're having uh, multiple uh, challenges back to back to back, then you could start to govern the amount of intensity you put into your efforts. Exactly. That, I love that. It, it, exactly, and that's that's what we do as rock climbers. And so what a lot of people don't realize, especially about grip strength, is that it's not about how strong your forearms are and how hard you can grip. But it's about how efficiently you can relax and how close you can get to perfection in terms of I'm barely holding on just enough to get the, the job done so that I can conserve as much energy as possible for the next movement. 
And yeah, I mean, it, it's huge for us. So for example, on, and just to give it a real world example, when we are in the gym or when we're out on a route climbing and we want to, we want to do the route or we want to, you know, be able to do the obstacle. A lot of times what we'll do is we will train holding on to a specific grip and then we will purposefully slowly start to let go slowly start until you can almost feel it start to slip. And then at that point, you know, you can put an arbitrary number on it. Let's say you're trying 70% of your ultimate grip strength. Uh, whatever it is, you you start to develop an innate feeling for what the right amount of tension and pressure is. And so when I did that Ninja Warrior course, I ha- I was going through it uh, and it was a much easier course for me than it was for Ian Dory. Even though we were we were trying about the equal, you know, uh, we were trying basically equally for our relative strengths. But what it means is that if Ian had tried even less hard, then he could have gotten away with that and made the course feel like V7, and he would have had even more energy and more strength, and he wouldn't have gotten tired. Because we both got similarly tired and exhausted from the course, but he had a little bit more in the tank. So if he had been able to relax a little bit more, uh, then it would have been just that much easier for him. And actually, that's the problem that he's had uh, on stage three, and it's one of the reasons he hasn't finished the whole course um, is because, like most of us, it's really hard to get into that psychological state of not trying too hard, especially when something means quite a bit, like there's a million dollars on the line. Oh, yeah. And all you have to do is make it across this thing that independently is actually pretty easy for us as right. climbers. So, well, you know, you, you, you make me think of so many different things when you're saying this, because to take it a step further, and we're kind of cross-pollinating between the sport of OCR and the, the sport uh, and the challenges of ninja work. When you think about, for example, the world's toughest mutter competition, which is a 24-hour, five-mile course, as many times as you can do it, and right. something in the neighborhood of, I don't know, 30, 40 obstacles, if you can get to a place where you function at 70% effort as opposed to approaching every obstacle with 100% effort, that's going to pay huge dividends, right? Oh, it's it's the it's the difference. Absolutely. And so instead of failing rigs because you put so much into it in the early stages of the of the night that you just didn't have anything left afterwards, that's big. So can you? I I got these questions, and I, I apologize. Yeah, let's go. What I find in my world is guys are thinking that they don't want to fail these challenges and the challenges uh, that I'm speaking of where, you know, maybe they got to go ring to bar, maybe the bar is turning and, you know, this is right up in your wheelhouse. This is what you guys do. You're pros. Sure. What, what, what would you consider to be too much time invested in that type of training in a given week, for example? Right. So there, well, there's a couple things. There's the large muscles that are responsible for keeping your arms bent and keeping your shoulders locked. Um, and then there's the small muscles which control the the fingertip gri- grip strength, basically the pinch strength, the we refer to it as, as crimp strength, the open hand strength, and which most of these obstacles require is more of an open hand, and that's where 
uh, you're using your uh, flexor digitorum uh, profundus, which is the the muscles that go out to the tips of the fingers. Uh, so and they hold you hold on by fingertips, whereas the um, the other flexors of the forearms, um, the superficialis uh, muscles, they'll hold your your grip closed in more of a fist. And so, but both of those muscles fatigue so easily. And the more important muscle uh, for most of the OCR stuff is definitely the open hand muscle. And so, so you have these two two types of of training that you can do in a week and spend a certain amount of time on them. You can do the large muscles, which are like basically the pull ups and keeping your arms locked. And then you can do the small muscles, which are these two types of grip strength muscles. Now, just as with any other muscle groups, the smaller the muscle group, the easier it is to to injure and the less time you really can spend on, on working it. And that's why climbers take just years and years to develop uh, the grip strength that they do. And so the, the big muscles, the pulling muscles, those we like to exercise. And as climbers, you know, we're exercising those five, six days a week. And we even break it up between bicep and, you know, chest and shoulder. Um, and although they're all getting worked out, you can put a lot more strain on them. It's like doing uh, stomach or legs. You know, you really can put a lot more uh, time into it. So I'd say three days a week on, on the, pull, the big muscle pulling exercises. And then we talk a lot about tension. And tension is the amount of power and strength that you can put between your fingertips uh, if you're holding them, you know, out in an iron cross type position and trying to hold your body from tip to tip, that's tension. It goes through your chest from one finger all the way to the other set of fingers. And the chest is just as important as the shoulders and the biceps and every muscle in the forearm to create upper body tension. And when we're doing these obstacles, like the obstacles in the OCR, a huge and very important aspect of the obstacles is the ability to keep your arm bent while going between the obstacles. Because when your arm is bent, your tension is more and you get more strength out of your grip. So it's much harder to, for example, hold um, a certain bar when you're swinging with a straight arm because your grip will let go. But if your arms are bent while you're swinging, you're wasting more energy in the big muscles, but you have more power. And, and so you know, you, you train both separately, the grip strength, the smaller muscles, I would say only two days a week. And that's even for us, uh, you know, high level climbers and, and obstacle focusing athletes. And there's a lot of ways to train those strengths. But the big, the big thing is for all these OCR obstacles uh, is training lock off. And lock off is just super important. And there's three different uh, angles of lock off that you should be training. A tight lock off where you can hold your body on a chin up bar with your fist underneath your chin. And, you know, how long can you do that? And then if you can lower down to a 90 degree bent arm lock, a one arm lock, and then uh, a very open lock with your arm, uh, you know, almost straight but contracted in between 90 degrees and completely uh, straight dead hanging. And so those are three really important positions to train. And um, obviously, we're talking a little bit more advanced uh, for the advanced athletes. If you need to start out, you got to use both hands and, and start locking off that way. Right. But, now, my question, yeah. can I slow you down for a sec? Yeah, of course. Yeah. The question I have is, I hear and I see a lot 
you know, because I'm paying attention to what guys are uh, throwing out there in, in the way of advice. Yeah. But I see the progressions in the ability to uh, get through a lot of these these challenges is to begin with a dead hang. Would you disagree with that? I mean, it sounds to me like you you'd prefer to develop the ability to engage larger muscle groups as opposed to depending on just your grip. Yeah, absolutely. Every time you see someone fly off of a of a bar swing, you know, when they're when they're swinging, it's because their arms are straight. And the the grip strength, you can do a very simple, you know, experiment. Um, you can if you try and hang on a bar, um, you know, with a, a just a straight grip, you can hang on for quite a while. And if you try and hang on with a in a locked off position, you can also hang off for hang on for quite a while. And generally, the upper body muscles will fatigue. And you'll end up in a, a hanging position. And when you're in a hanging position, the grip will just be less strong because it's not attached any longer to the, to the tension of the rest of the system. So I would say for higher level athletes, training the, the strength in the bigger muscles has a bigger impact on your grip strength than training the actual finger strength and the forearm strength, believe it or not. It's paradoxical. That's a that's a great bit of advice. I really yeah. love that because I've seen too much uh, of this hold on as long as you can grip strength type thing, and to me that that starts to put a little bit too much stress on on the connective tissue. You, yeah, you end up with uh, tendonitis and things like this. Am I wrong about that? No, I, I I think you're right. Especially you know, it's easy to <laughs> the central governor gets confused when you know it, it's less fine-tuned for the dexterous muscles the muscles that are you know focused on dexterity like the forearm muscles and so yeah I, I think that it's much more important to train the big muscles and to train you know but for efficiency eventually you want to be able to swing straight arm and and do these things and that's more of a technique issue but just for a uh, you know, a, an endurance standpoint and getting through things quick and powerfully. Because as you know, if you do things powerfully and you get them done quickly, you end up saving a lot of energy, even if it was harder to do. So, yeah, I think the bigger muscles and, and focusing on locking off and working on the lock-off training will pay much bigger dividends. Because the, the the grip training, it just takes so many years. And you need to work on it. But it's so easy to overtrain. You will get into tendonitis and elbow issues. Uh, and by the way, I have a great way to address that. But, um, yeah, it's just you're going to get a lot quicker, uh, better payoff from working the big muscles and getting the lock strength. It will improve your grip strength. Oh, now you've got to share. <laughs> yeah, the tendonitis issue. Yeah. So we all suffer with tendonitis, especially as climbers. It's, you know, it, it's a sure thing that if you're climbing, you're going to suffer with it. And if you're doing bar work, you're going to suffer with it. It's very common to get, um, you know, both both a tennis or a golfer's uh, elbow, and you know, you know, the medial or lateral epicondylitis. Um, and basically, what's happening is you're getting these small micro tears where the tendons that can that you know hold the the muscle onto the bone are starting to pull away at the bone and starting to fray even a little bit, like, like almost like a cuticle on your finger. Uh, and it, it, sometimes it pulls away from the, the periosteum, which is that 
covering of the bone. It sometimes begins to pull away even just a little bit. And so it's a, it's a tough thing, and it hurts. It, it'll slow down your training, and it, it's really a nuisance. And some people struggle with it for months or even years. And believe it or not, there are some easy ways to address it. Um, one of the best one of the best ways that I've ever found is obviously we talk about push-ups, we talk about addressing um, opposing muscle groups, but one of the best ways that you can that you can help your tendonitis, especially if it's medial, so if you're pushing on the inside of your arm, the ulnar side, sure. um, the best way is, and now now you're gonna have to imagine this with me, if you take your arms and you put them down at your sides just so that the palms of your hands are, are facing backwards. And now you pretend that there's strings on the ends of your fingers, and you pull up your, your fingers and you, you extend your forearm muscles as tight as possible, and you feel a little burn in the, in the top portion of your forearm, the extensor portion. And it's almost like a push-up position, you know, like uh, your, your hands are up, but they're not on the floor. If you hold your hands there, you'll start to feel a burn, especially if you try real hard to lift them as high as possible. You'll start to feel a burn in the extensor portion of your forearm. Now, that's the starting position. And what you want to do is then you want to rotate out. So you want to rotate your thumb all the way out so that your thumbs are pointing out and then rotate your thumbs in all the way so that your thumbs are pointing in and you want to go through this full range of rotational motion of the of the radius crossing over the ulna it, with your hands extended as hard as you can. And when you do that, you're going to feel a real big pump developing really quickly in the extensor portions of your forearm. And what you want to do is you want to do that for about 30 seconds uh, to a minute and get a real good pump like where it feels like it's almost cramping up. And you do that just throughout the day, 10 times throughout the day. And that is an incredibly effective and efficient way to deal with tendonitis. I've, I've, had, um, I've had patients and other climbers literally have resolution of a longstanding tendonitis in a day or two. And now that sounds miraculous, but you've know, you got to put it to the test. Everybody's going to have specific results based on what their injury is, but that is an incredible uh, way to deal with uh, tendonitis, especially of the of the flexor compartment, But and, and you just reverse it for the other compartment. You pretend like you're uh, in a position where you would do pull-ups on the back of your wrists, and it's stretching now, you know, and, and you make fists instead, and you, you flex that forearm compartment. And then you go through the same kind of rotational movement. And that is really effective. I encourage everybody to try that. Wow. I'm doing a, that as you're speaking. I'm, I'm doing it, and I'm getting a burn in my – I'm only doing it with one arm, so my right arm is just, like, hammered right now. It's Oh, it's awesome. I like it. I when like we, it. Yeah, when we practice grip training and when we – I mean, think about it. Most things you're doing throughout the day involve – grabbing things and holding things and you do a pull-up you're holding on the bars you're never you we don't really work you know maybe you do reverse curls which is a very linear it's it's not very effective but you're not really working on your extensor compartments of your forearms but and they're hard to work on because there's no natural movements that you're doing throughout the day it's not like you know you have to use the extensor components of your forearms but as you probably know and can comment more on any muscle group is kind of limited in its ability to grow stronger 
by its antagonist muscle group. Um, and so it's kind of like a, a plant that has a small, uh, you know, container and it can't, its roots can't grow anymore. So the plant doesn't grow anymore. But if you can work on a, your extensors, uh, throughout the day like this, then not only are you going to make your, uh, flexors, the forearm, the, the, the grip muscles stronger, but you're going to keep in balance a little bit more through the day. Yeah, I, I totally see that. And I'm sitting here thinking uh, a good example of that would be your psoas muscles. Because mm, yeah. the extensors, you know, it, nobody does a very good job of getting a good hip extension. Right. And, again, in my world where people are trying to run faster, it becomes a function of having good hip angle in flight. And so you get that eccentric energy that comes from having good extension in the hip and that really schedules you for a very nice stride. And so, yeah, I'm totally mm, digging, I'm digging this. Yeah, this is, this is good stuff. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I talk to so many people about various components of these races that people are doing, but we never really have a chance to pick this apart. So having a professional rock climber like yourself talking about this is really good stuff. So tell me about your world a little bit. When you guys, do you guys train together, the Wolfpack? Yeah. Oh, yeah, constantly. And actually, that's one of the things that makes us the wolf pack. And, and this would be great for anybody who's training uh, OCR or, or, or any of these individual sports. You know, it's so hard psychologically when you're training alone to to reach your true try-hard potential. You know, I we talk a lot about the philosophy of effort. And the Wolf Pack, we all train together. Partially, we each want to win, right? We want to win the Ninja Warrior show. And we are all individually motivated. We're a team only in that we know that we can help each other train harder. If I'm training with Brian or Ian and I'm racing them, uh, I'm, a, I'm accountable. There is no – it's very black and white. You know, there's no – cheating like when, when you're alone sometimes it's just hard psychologically to push yourself that extra you know that extra percent or whatever but when you're with your bros or when you're with your friends or or training partners you want to show them how strong you are how good you are it's like kind of this innate psychological thing and it, it helps to elevate your performance in training and so, yeah, the Wolfpack came together because we identified a need to train harder and better than everybody else in the ninja world because nobody was getting it done. And so we did. We, we kind of teamed up in this individual sport, and we pushed each other so hard that I think we were able to take our training to a level um, where we were able to utilize our climbing skills. We were able to grow as parkour athletes and as endurance athletes and put it all together and get the course done as the wolf pack. And that was, it was an incredible experience to, to be the team that put a wolf on top and, and finished the impossible course. So yeah, we get a lot of psychic energy from each other. That's very cool. Now, when you guys do train, do you have like a, a weekly regiment that you follow? Do you like say, okay, Monday's going to be this day, Tuesday's going to be this day, or do you like uh, leave it kind of, uh, freewheeling and for example you know one of the guys might say hey let's do this this week or do you, or do you already have a lot of structure behind what you do that's a great question uh, we have more structure actually in the off season when we're training strength and when we're doing lifting or just climbing specific exercise 
Um, it's hard to stick to those problems, and we mostly just want to have fun when we're getting together. So it's very unstructured. There's a lot of creativity. It's, hey, Megan, make a course. Let's make a course. Or let's, let's make a racing course that we're going to do. And we warm up together. We're talking. We socialize. It, it's, always, it's always different. And when, when it's different, you know, we're, we're always training in a different way. So we don't get used to one specific obstacle. We want to be ready for anything they throw at us. So we want to keep changing it up. And you have no sense of what's going to happen when you, when you show up for one of these programs. Yeah, we have no idea. I mean, they're constantly trying to trick us to put new elements in there. And the nice thing about obstacles is you know it's either going to involve the upper body or the lower body. And it's either going to be a bar or it's going to be uh, you know, a vertical bar or a horizontal bar or a ring. You, you can train kind of the overall grips and get a good representation. And for a lot of the obstacles, you know, it's, it's a bar or it's a horizontal or a vertical bar. And so we, we do train those grips and we incorporate them into what we're doing. But we don't know specifically what they're going to make for us. And, uh, y- yeah, I mean, it's very challenging. We see it the day before and then we instantly start visualizing like a hundred times how we're going to do it. So who do you think uh, this is going to be a $50,000 question? Yeah. Actually more like a one million dollar question. Right. Who who do you think is going to win? <laughs> American Ninja Warrior? Yep. Well, this season it's all done. It's been filmed. Uh, so I I know say. I know what happened. Yeah, we are under contract. We cannot yep. Got it. We can, we cannot talk about it. But um it was different that the outcome was different than what I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> and uh yeah, I mean, I can tell you about next year. Next year, I'm sure it's going to be even harder. And, uh, you know, the top guys are, are definitely still Ian and Brian uh, from the Wolfpack. Megan Martin and Jesse Graff are the top women. Drew Dreschel, Joe Moravsky. You kind of see some of the typical guys who, guys and gals who are always just kind of pushing the, the envelope. And so, uh, you know, I think – and then there's always a rookie sensation. So – you know, a, a guy to look out for this year is Josh Levin. He's incredible. Uh, he's a he's actually just turned 21 or maybe 22 now, and so he's just finally eligible for the show. But he's one of these kids who's been watching it, growing up with Ninja Warrior, and training since he was 16, and he's already a competitive climber. Uh, so it's really exciting to see the kids getting into it, and they have they just have all the elements, and they've been training for it for so many years. So it's really cool. Rock climbing, you guys, there, there's got to be a, a, a limit to how much time you could spend on your grip, I'd imagine, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, the limit actually, when, once you're 20 years in, like a lot of, like everybody in the wolf pack is, the limit becomes the skin and uh, the skin on the hand, it'll, you know, break down and you get blisters. And so that'll limit you. And then if ultimately, if you're not varying your movement, you'll get tendonitis and whatnot. But uh, believe it or not, I mean, when when we're on good rock that doesn't hurt the skin and uh, when we're not climbing maximum potential, we we climb every day, you know. Wow. And, and uh, What do you do about blisters? Yeah, blisters are, are interesting. Uh, we have very specific things we do about blisters. And actually, this will help all the 
OCR guys that are doing bar work and getting into the CrossFit gym and getting the big flappers. And so here it is. This is, a, this is the cure. This is the best way to heal it as fast as possible, as strong as possible. Uh, you take the after the workout, after you, you're done, um, generally what I like to do is I shower with uh, tape still on um, and uh, it just hurts so bad when the water gets in there and stings it. And we're talking about an open blister. Right. A closed blister, a lot of times we'll try and let them heal, but they'll turn into an open blister once you get back on a bar, you know, immediately. Right. So uh, an open blister, or you know, we call it a potato chip. Uh, it's It hurts a lot to cut it flush uh, when it's dry, but if you let it get macerated in the shower, so you take a shower, and I like I said, I keep the tape still on. After the shower, um, the skin is all macerated and full of fluid, and then uh, the nerves don't function as well, so you can cut it real flush. And so that's the first step is cutting it flush. And um, the second step is, depending on where it is, if it's over a crease on your hand, it's a real problem. If it's on a crease on the finger or whatnot, so you got to splint the finger open with a popsicle stick or an aluminum foam. And you, you want to keep it dry so, or wet, rather, so it doesn't crack. But you also need – it needs oxygen to heal. So – what we do is we use uh, like a, a baby diaper ointment like with zinc oxide. Uh, zinc oxide, 40% zinc oxide is tremendously valuable to skin healing. So you put that right on there. It's got like cod liver oil. It's, it's all natural. It's great stuff. You put that on there. You put a Band-Aid on. You splint the finger open. And if you're really anal retentive and you want to heal this thing in a day or two as quickly as possible, you've got an event coming up or something, Every four hours, you change, you take the Band-Aid off, and then you let it completely dry out for an hour or two, and then you put a little bit more uh, bacitracin or a little zinc oxide on there, and you cover it for another three to four hours, and you alternate that, and that is the quickest way to grow skin and heal a blister, and oftentimes you can do it uh, 24 to 36 hours, believe it or not. You can get a good uh, usable layer of skin uh, so oh. that you can compete. Wow. Versus, versus if you don't do anything, it's going to take five or six days right. and it's going to start cracking and become potentially become a long-term problem. So just trying to cover it doesn't help, right? Yeah. It, you know, I mean, you, you know, skin on an obstacle is the best. If you start using tape, you're losing friction. It's much harder to hold on. You don't want to compete with tape. You don't want to climb with tape on rock. It's suboptimal and it has a, a it's, it's a much bigger detriment than a lot of people realize. You don't want tape. So best to heal it fast. Man, you are a, a fountain of information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got a, a cornucopia of, of uh, yeah. Well, this is cool because this is a lot of the stuff that we don't get. You know, we, uh, in my little world, we, um, uh, I just don't, I mean, I, I could talk all day about lower extremity injuries and best ways to get those sorted out, but I never, uh, never seem to find the, that, that those pearls of wisdom in respect to what happens with the upper body. If there's any of the OCR guys out there who are interested in Ninja Warrior stuff or seeing what we're doing uh, with, with trying to combat childhood obesity and diabetes, uh, perhaps with uh, just listening to our podcast, we have the Wolfpack Ninja podcast. Absolutely. And... Uh, um, yeah, it's it's we interview all the top American Ninja Warriors and we talk a lot about this stuff and the way they approach their training 
and their nutrition. And it's pretty cool to get all these top-level athletes, uh, you, you know, what they've discovered, what works for Kevin Bull or what works for Casey Catanzaro. And so it, it's been really fun doing the podcast. Uh, and then, of course, our website, wolfpackninjas.com. Well, it's been a lot of fun. I'm so glad that we had a chance to do this. Yeah. Uh, we should great. come back every couple of weeks and, you know, compare notes. I, I think so. I think there's a, you know, we should store up some questions and uh, cross-reference, and yep. I'll tackle some of the upper body stuff. Uh, I think we, we have a, a good fun time and a good synergy, Richard. I just think that it's been really fun having you to explain a lot of the things that I don't know. I really enjoyed having a chance to speak with you, Noah, and uh, I wish you guys the best in 2017, and, and I guess I'll have to wait, on, wait and find out who wins this year, huh? <laughs> well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.